Welcome to the Small Business Sisterhood Podcast. I'm your host, Pepper Makepeace, an online business strategist helping handmade business owners get more visibility for their Etsy shops and founder of the Small Business Sisterhood. Join me as I go behind the scenes with female entrepreneurs, revealing the struggles, strategies, and inspiring stories of these amazing women. We're here to normalize the ups and downs of entrepreneurship so we can all feel a little less isolated, be a little more connected, and keep moving forward in our businesses. If you're interested in connecting with like-minded women through monthly virtual networking and co-working events, join the free podcast community at smallbusinesssisterhood.com. Today, we're talking to Deborah Vogue, a crisis navigation partner with 30 plus years of experience as a leadership researcher, executive, and advisor. Deborah provides highly competent women with expertise, structure, and empathy so that they can process difficult situations, connect with necessary resources, communicate effectively, and lead with a clear mind and solid strategy. Having experienced her own crises and crossroads, she realizes the importance of an outside resource to provide perspective while navigating difficult circumstances, decisions, and conversations. Deborah's career path has included conducting research at Harvard Business School, advising tech startups on people's strategy, and directing admissions and career development for the MIT Dual Degree MBA program, Leaders for Global Operations. She earned a BA in Psychology and American Studies from Wesleyan College College and an MBA from the MIT Sloan School of Management. Deborah is also a theater lover and occasional intuitive painter. She delights in spending time with her high school age son and daughter. She's also a voracious reader and sometimes knitter. Well, thank you so much, Deborah, for being on the podcast. I'm super excited to, to chat with you and share your business with the world. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So tell everybody a little bit about you and your business. Well, uh, my business is called Connect2 Corporation, and I've been in business for 21 years, so it's evolved and changed quite a bit over the past couple of decades. Sure. And I am a crisis navigation partner. That's what I focus on currently for the past just under two years. I work with women, mostly leaders. They're leading their own business. They're leading their families. They're maybe leading a volunteer thing. Maybe they're leading a company or a department but women who are leaders uh, who are experiencing one of life's inevitable big challenges Mm -hmm. that we all go through. And it could be lots of different things. It could be a divorce. It could be a physical or mental health diagnosis for themselves or someone they love. It could be a dispute um, at work. It could be getting laid off. It could be having to lay other people off. Mm. All of these are crises that I have experienced personally. Mm. And what I offer is not only emotional support as someone's walking through that experience, but also thought partnership, communication strategy. Uh, I'm a confidential resource for someone to bounce things off of so that they can make their best, most informed decisions and lead their way to the best possible outcome, given the circumstances. What powerful and meaningful work. That's that's amazing. And thank you for the work that you're doing. I think that, well, I personally have experienced <laughs> several of those kind of moments of crises that it's not always easy to kind of navigate on your own and it sounds like a really amazing service to have the option to go to someone and, and get some, like even just alone, just that 
bouncing ideas off of somebody and, and being able to talk through some things. Like, I think that would be amazing. But how do you, my first question is, how do you, as you, <laughs> I am me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> How do you personally take care of yourself when you're helping these other women through crisis and not take that on as I would think that would be really challenging actually. It is challenging for me. I mm. am a very empathetic person, you know, in sure. the strengths finders where you can figure out what your top five strengths are. My number right. one is empathy. And mm. that is a gift. And sometimes curse is a strong word, but sometimes it's a drawback. Yeah. Not, never a curse. But uh, I do empathize with people so much and I tend to feel some of what they're feeling and think about them when they're not there and and uh, t- tune into those feelings. So this is probably my number one challenge in this business and something that I'm working on all the time. I am mm-hmm. very into that as leaders, we can all choose to stay in the process of continuous improvement and Continuous improvement doesn't look like one of those straight up lines that you right, right. start, but sometimes more like a spiral. Yeah. So I have been experimenting with different things since I switched into this business model mm-hmm. in the summer of 2019, before I was envisioning that the whole world would be in one right. giant crisis of pandemic. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I have really even further increased my own practices of self-care. I started a meditation practice last year and I find that that really helps me having time with no agenda. It's incredibly valuable. And all that I need to notice is what is going through my own head and I don't need to judge it. And I could just see it go by even five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes of that really nourishes me throughout the day. Do I Mm -hmm. do it every day? No. Should I? Of course. Will I? No. So (laughs) part of it is accepting uh, my own limitations and circumstances in life. I'm a single mom. I have two kids live at home. I am the sole uh, caregiver for them and mostly the financial provider and provide most of the financial care. And, um, I do things like massage, body work, mm. I find really useful. I hold a lot in my own body and I'm aware mm. of that. And so having consistent appointments set up is really useful for me. I set them all up at the beginning of or ahead of the start of a new calendar year because mm. I know myself if I waited until I felt like getting a massage, I would right. decide that I was too busy to make the appointment, too busy to show up for the appointment, didn't have enough money. You know, I'd have a zillion excuses right. for why not to take care of myself. So I've learned I need to systematize it. And then mm. I don't question it. I just show up. Like <laughs> I show up at the massage therapist's office on that first Friday of the month at that designated time, just like I would show up for a client on a regular basis. So uh, there's those aspects of self-care. I have trusted resources, people I talk to about mm. my feelings. I have a therapist, but I also have other practitioners that I have a small close circle with and mm. we support each other. These are other people who own their own businesses that are 
solo based like mine is. And I have been through crises too, different ones than you've been through. In the ones that I've been through multiple times, I felt really on my own. Mm. And that is a tough feeling. And my mission here is to help my clients know that they're not on their own, even if sometimes they feel like it. So I have to be there for myself in order to be able to be there and fully present and strong for my clients. So it's a work in progress and I'm, I invest a lot in my own uh, well-being so that I can invest in theirs. I really love that. And, you know, you gave some really tangible, practical things to do. And, you know, I think not only are you a model for your clients, you know, you're, but you're also, like you said, you know, you have to be at your best to show up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've often thought about, you know, the caregivers of the world, in various forms, like yourself, and in, in the impasse of the world, particularly, you know, I would imagine that that self care piece is is almost more important in a way than the client work because, in order for you to keep giving and to keep being that for other people, you know that that self care is such a key component of that whole process. And if you're not able to do that, then you're not able to help all of those amazing people that you're there you're helping and so I love that I love the idea of like just the practicality of scheduling things in advance and just showing up and because there is such a mental game to some of that right so I I, I really love that I think that's a great idea I might have to borrow that one. <laughs> the same thing with the hair appointments a year in advance wherever I can I do that yeah that's awesome so how did you come to this work? You you mentioned you've been in business for quite some time and, and this crisis nav- navigation partner is, is relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting timing. Thank you for like getting all that set up before we went into major global crisis here. But how did you kind of move into this, this new piece? So... I was a psychology major in college. I'm not going to tell you my whole career story, but just a couple of highlights. And I went to business school to get an MBA, knowing that I always wanted to work at the intersection of psychology and business. Mm. And with some education thrown in there and some technology pieces thrown in there. And I first started my own business in 1998. So actually my business just turned 22 last month. I said I was 21, but now it's 22 (laughs) and it has evolved. I've worked at different intersecting points of these two main fields that I know we're not on audio, but what's this shape, you know, like double helix kind of thing where sex intersect at a lot of different places. Um, I first learned about coaching when I was in business school, not at business school, um, but while I was there. And I looked at it and I said, that is exactly what I want to do. I didn't know there was a name for this. <laughs> and so I have uh, coached and consulted. I've been a coach since I was an early teenager. I just didn't know the name for it. Right. <laughs> and 
I've been consulting since I graduated from college and I've, you know, really started putting those two things together when I started my own business a few years after I got out of graduate school. I wasn't really fully prepared to start my business. I'm not sure if anybody is. We can talk about that too. But as my skills have grown and my interests have grown and I've had all sorts of unexpected life experiences, the focus of my business has evolved and shifted. After uh, after focusing for about 10 years on being a leadership and career coach, the first 10 years I was doing more organizational change, uh, and the second 10 years of my business was leadership and career coaching, there was something in me that was feeling less than satisfied and fulfilled the way I had felt previously. Mm. And I spent quite a lot of time in 2019 reflecting on why that was, who I am, what was missing for me. And I came across this theme of crisis in my life, that I had been through various crises since I was a kid, and that I had been helping other people work through various crises as a friend and as a professional for my whole career. And so like I realized in the 90s that I had been a coach since I was a teenager, I realized in 2019 that I had been a crisis navigation partner since I was a teenager too. But I didn't know the name for it, and it took until 2019 when I put those words together and, mm. you know, kind of made up my own profession and description of what I'm doing. So it's been a combination of my own evolution and following my curiosity and finding new intersections. I love that. And it's such an important process and an a, a, good mindset I think to have when we're first starting out is that it's okay if things kind of shift and change as we go as we learn as we have more experiences and I feel like you know when we first start out we think we have to have it all kind of dialed in and figured out and like this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life kind of feeling it's all set forever yeah (laughs) right never works like that never And that's okay. Like you said, that's okay. And the the only mistake in that is expecting, believing that that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Well, that's not fair to anybody for us to kind of think that we're, (laughs) we're going to have it all dialed in and then it's set and then we can't adjust and evolve and change our business as we do. (laughs) Yeah, would we even really want it to? You know, exactly, I loved yeah. what I was doing when I started my business. I, most of the 22 years I've been in business, I've loved it. But I wouldn't want to go back to the right. versions of it I've had. You know, I've had probably like, you know, three major evolutions now of Connect2 Corporation. But yeah. my the one I'm in is always my favorite. <laughs> that's, that's great. That'll be a great quote from this episode. <laughs> I love that. So kind of back to my, my first question, you know, there's, there's a lot of coaches out there right now. It's a really kind of evolve, ever evolving and changing, but um, it's, it's a pretty healthy industry right now. And when I first started in 2008, as you know, I got my coaching certificate and coaching was still pretty new at that point. And, you know, I was told from a business advisor at the local, um, 
oh, what chamber of commerce mm-hmm. or something yeah, yeah. like it was like a, yeah it was like a a free consultation that I could go and get some business advice and I told her what I wanted to do I wanted to do like have my own coaching business and she said mm, don't do that you're going to fail <laughs> so <laughs> thank you yeah that was, that was super supportive mm-hmm. but um I pre- I I went ahead anyway obviously but um it was an interesting, I think about it periodically of, and, and she was looking out for me in her mind. She was, you know, protecting me from something, but it's not an easy business to have in terms of, I mean, business in general isn't always, it's never really easy, but there's a lot of, you know, challenges with that in and of itself. But I think, you know, the coaching, the self-care that's necessary as a coach, particularly if your kind of niche of coaching is more personal and, you know, the crisis management, like you're talking about. And it's, I see, I see a lot of coaching businesses fail as well. Mm -hmm. Do you have thoughts about like why that might be? Mm -hmm. I do. And honestly, I have, mixed, I have had mixed feelings about identifying myself purely as a coach. And I, you'll notice that when I evolved to becoming a crisis navigation partner, I actually stopped using the word coach in Mm. marketing to describe what I do. So yes, it's true. A lot of coaching businesses fail. It's true that there's certification programs now and there's ways to learn to become a coach. And, you know, when you started learning about this and I started learning about this in the late 90s, all that was just under development. And anybody could kind of hang out a shingle, say that they're a coach without any independent vetting. Uh, coaching programs don't necessarily teach coaches how to be business people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the challenges And there's a lot of optimism in the coaching profession, which is great because it's what coaches need to do is, you know, you can have what you want and let's have the vision and we'll figure out how to get there. And I think sometimes people are kind of naive when they go into it. You know, I just, I'll just build it and they will come and I can just, it'll be just that it's just not quite that easy as field of dreams. And I think a mistake that a lot of coaches make is not getting specific enough about who they serve and how. Mm. And the more, what I've seen in my business and clients' businesses and friends' businesses is that the more niched down you are, the more successful you will be. So I think that's important. People are afraid a lot to be too specific about what they do because they're afraid that means that they'll have to turn business away. And I, for example, for, uh, gosh, I would, I think like 20 years have been marketing specifically to women. Do I have Mm -hmm. men who are my clients? Yes. But that's okay. If a man comes to me and says, Hey, I heard from my partner, wife, friend, girlfriend, that you might be able to help me. Will you? I don't turn them away because they have, because they're not a woman. And my marketing says I work with women, Right. but it helps the women who are on their own, who are experiencing a crisis to hear me better that I'm available for them. And other people to refer me better to those women when I am that specific instead of saying I can help anybody and everybody with everything. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And it is a scary thing to, to niche down, but it's, yeah. it's, it's so valuable. And so ultimately it does really, like you said, it really boosts the success of the business and it, it really clarifies the messaging. It clarifies the whole intent and it, it can really just make everything better. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you, let me back up. In my own business, so my business just turned, God, I can't do math. <laughs> We're turning, let's see, I think it just turned 12 or 13, whatever. Awesome. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> but there have been points in my business where I wasn't working. And typically, like if a crisis came, then I would kind of not be able to function in my business because of that crisis for however long it was. I probably the longest was six months um, where, and I think if like, obviously if I didn't have, you know, the, the income support of my husband, I would have had to find other sources of income that wasn't my business. And so I think that at times businesses fail because of crisis, because there's, Mm -hmm. there's that need for income and, you know, navigating both of those things at once sometimes doesn't seem feasible. Like what are your thoughts about crisis impact on like the ability of a business to keep going? I think you're absolutely right. And especially in what I refer to as brilliant space businesses, which you have and I have, and maybe a lot of women listening to this right now have a brilliant space business is when the entire business is built around the founders skills and interests and qualities. Mm. That's how I define part of how I define brilliance. And so usually a brilliant space business is just that principle in the business providing the services. And then sometimes with other outsourcing for bookkeeping or virtual assistants or other kinds of things, but basically that the principal brilliant space businesswoman has to show up to serve the clients in order to generate income. And we know we hear a lot about getting out of the situation of purely trading time for dollars Mm -hmm. and having passive revenue streams. And that sounds great to me. (laughs) I'm not a product person. I don't get excited about repping products, you know, that would provide that kind of passive. Uh, Some people do, and that's great. It's just not my thing. Um, And so, yes, I do. I have developed some information products from my work, but Mostly, my work is about me showing up and delivering. Right. So I've come to think about my work as leader of my business as there has to be a way for it to function without me, at least very short term. And mm-hmm. if I, if I'm a leader and my business or my team can't function without me being there, then I'm not doing a fully effective job as a leader. Mm -hmm. So I have 
and this is way before I became a crisis navigation partner, maybe another clue along the way that I wanted to do that. I have a really clear crisis management plan for connect to corporation. And I update it every six months and I make sure that the relevant parties in my personal life and my business have a copy of it. So if something happens to me and I get hit by a bus at 11 o'clock, how are, how are my clients going to find out that I'm not going to be there for them this afternoon or next week? I have all that um, sorted out. You know, a lot of it is about communication. Um, and we, I think we need to partner with each other. One of the things in my crisis management plan is who are other people whose work is not the same as mine, but similar enough to mine, who have agreed to do their best to step in from me with my clients in a gap kind of situation where mm-hmm. I have to step out for some reason. And I have, like you, had to do this too. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my, in my case, it was family medical issues that I had to take care of two times. And it's hard. You, you invest so much in building up and getting that momentum going. And then right. something happens, some big situation happens, and you have to step back. So part of it is planning. Part of it is having community that you can rely on and turn to and make a part of your plan. Part of it is, I'm trying to think of a better word, but faith, (laughs) hope and faith that you can get through this. It is very scary to have a business where your family is dependent on that income solely. But I'm here to tell you, even having gone through crises, I've gotten through it. And sometimes things happen in unexpected ways to make it possible. Sometimes income appears in completely unexpected ways. And I know I'm past that. I'm like, but yeah, but that wasn't because of my business. And that's not because I worked X hours to produce it. But I was just lucky to get this surprise tax refund or something. Right. (laughs) And I've learned to count all that. And it all counts in a brilliance-based business. However, the money comes to you. I have this book that I really love that talks about this. Um, that's called it's not your money by Tasha silver. Mm. And it's this really small book. See, it's not like a big thick tome (laughs) and it's a very easy (laughs) read, but it kind of pulls together a lot of the tools that I use and the mindset that I use to, connect in with the universe and feel less alone as a provider and as a leader. I love that. I'll definitely share that in the show notes for this episode. Yes. Tasha T O S H a silver. Thank you. I love that you have a crisis management plan and you have it, you know, early on, even before you started this part of your work, can you tell me, you know, or tell everybody, like, what, what can we do to kind of get that in place for ourselves? Like, what are some of the components that you think would be good to have? You mentioned, you know, having um, maybe peers that could fill in if, if needed. Um, What are some other things that you might include in something like that? That's a really good idea. And I was thinking I should just pull it up on my screen now to tell you what the sections are of it. Okay. Um, So, but basically, there's three things that even setting that plan aside, the plan is a piece of it, and I'll, I'll come back to that when my word doc okay. goes. But there's three things that we can all, tools that we can all use in a crisis 
And if we are preparing them before crisis hits, then we're going to be in better shape. And those three tools are communication, capacity, and community. We can talk about each one of those, um, but you can build up your muscles and shore up your capacity and your community and communication skills at any time. So that's what I have tried to do too. So the sections of this plan I have, so first, first I have a whole list of potential kinds of crises that could help <laughs> that could befall, mm-hmm. which a pandemic isn't on, but it like disability <laughs> or death. You didn't anticipate that. <laughs> uh, legal, technical, or weather. Um, and then I have a column who on my team could help with that, who are the stakeholders would be who would be affected by mm-hmm me experiencing that type of crisis and what are the key messages that would need to be communicated to those stakeholders. That's Mm -hmm. one section. Then I have a section of my contact databases with my passwords and my, you know, where to look for where, you know, my calendar is on Google calendar and here's how you log into that. The way I get in touch with the way my clients make appointments with me is through this service though. My address book is over here things like that. Then I have a list of the the members of my Connect2 team who are primarily me as the principal and my assistant who works with me about uh, 10 hour, up to 10 hours a week. And mm-hmm. she has this plan and knows how to execute this plan. And then a list of all the external advisors that I work with for different reasons, my accountant, my bookkeeper, attorneys, the executor of my estate contact information for uh, those people, the person who has the keys to my website, and then a list of vendors. This is boring. Sorry if this is boring. Tell you, but this is what's in here. <laughs> the vendors are like the, my insurance company and how to get in touch with them and my insurance numbers and my banks and all that kind of stuff. And there's the list of alternate practitioners who could step in to work with me and uh, a link to my operations manual for my business and a link to my operations manual for everything I run for my family. That is that plan. And it's, you know, it is boring, (laughs) but (laughs) I take tremendous comfort from having it in place. And to me, that's part of what shores up my capacity because there's people who can step in when I have to step out for some reason. Right. Which inevitably will help it happen again. I don't know in what way, but it'll happen. Right. Life is well and I love what you said. You know, it's that mental comfort of having that in place. That would have been really nice for, for myself to have in place yeah. when, you know, I get the cancer diagnosis and I, you know, I can't work in my business for yeah. however many months. I didn't have a plan. And I think that, you know, that just the relief of knowing that something is in place that will go into effect, then that takes away a huge mental chunk of stress that you don't even have to think about. Mm -hmm. And I really, I see a lot of value in, you know, thinking about those things ahead of time. I really like that. And I'm not sure why I've never really thought about having that in place for my own business, but I I think people hardly ever do. And especially when you're, you know, a brilliant space business owner, it's important. But then also when you are the solo provider for other people that you're giving 
that you're a caregiver for, it's also important there too. Sure. You know, you've yeah. been able to turn to your husband, fortunately, and, and vice versa. And he probably knows what a lot of your passwords are, but <laughs> nobody, nobody, I, I didn't know that anybody would know mine or where to find mine until like. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Such like actionable advice. Like I recommend everybody to go, I'm going to go out and do that myself for my business. And I, I think it's such a great thing to, to be a little more prepared and feel a little more prepared. Um, when we spoke before, you talked a little bit about the anxiety that comes around about information overload. And I'm wondering like this kind of pandemic, I feel like that's kind of been up leveled a little bit. Like there's just so much information coming at us all the time. And I feel like, you know, still in my business, but definitely early on, it was like, I was soaking up all the information I could all like being on all of the email lists and signing up for all the programs and just really, you know, being that sponge early on. And I've gotten away from a lot of that, but I still have periods where it's like, wow, I'm like, I can't read this email. Like it's just, it's too many. Like I can't do this anymore. And having to kind of prune even what is coming in my inbox. Like what are your thoughts about, like talk, talk to me more about what your thoughts are about the anxiety about information overload. The last time you and I talked, I don't remember if this came up because we were talking about imposter syndrome, but I might, I think a lot about imposter syndrome because um, one of the other descriptors I use of my target audience is that they're women who tend to be hyper competent. They're so good at getting things done that it's actually to their own detriment. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I am hyper competent. And so I tend to attract people who are like that too, who women who get stuff done. And sometimes we burn ourselves out or get close to burning ourselves out in the process. So I had created this quiz, which I think we can give up. Maybe we can give a link to it's a free quiz. If people want it, you can see if you are hyper confident and mm-hmm. this is an online thing. It's like five minutes. And then if you are, what kind of hyper competent person you are. And one of the types of hyper competent has to do with imposter syndrome and feeling like you're not qualified enough to do what you're doing and you're not ready to do what you're doing and you're not informed enough to do what you're doing. And I think that the digital information age has made a lot more of us have imposter syndrome because it is literally impossible to be fully informed as in right. <laughs> I've read everything there is out there on a topic. And right. there's just so much more information available to us than before the World Wide Web. And we're expected to keep up with it. We expect ourselves to keep up with it. You know, right. in 1990, we didn't expect ourselves to live in the library and constantly read all the periodicals that had just come out. <laughs> but somehow in 2021, we tend to think that we should be scrolling our feeds and finding out all the everything about everything. So I just, I relate to that, that there is more anxiety and we have to set standards for ourselves and limits for ourselves. So one of the concepts that I work with a lot is being good enough, Mm. having enough, doing enough, being enough, not perfection, not 
living up to my fantasy idea of how much I should know or do or be or have. And I have written for myself, like, how do I know when it's enough? Go back to that list sometimes and look, because I overshoot that mark all the time. Mm -hmm. So how much do you feel like you need to know in order to be safe? How much, you know, from a COVID perspective, how much do you feel like you need to know in order to be of service to others? Be clear with yourself about that and then try to not expect yourself to overshoot all your markers because like we were talking about before, as brilliance-based businesswomen, we have to be taking care of ourselves and we literally could, I mean, there's so much information out there that we could be reading and watching videos and listening to podcasts for <laughs> seven, right. the whole 168 hours per week. But of course that's not practical. We have other things we need to do. Right. So what's enough? I love that idea. You're kind of setting, you know, some parameters around, and it, it kind of goes back to even just what is what does success mean to me? You know, is it a, a dollar figure? Is it um, client served? Isn't you know? There's so many factors that yeah. if we don't define that, then it's going to be this kind of nebulous, never achievable, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just kind of vague fog out there that just we can't pin down. Right. Yes, I I love the idea of kind of pinning that down and setting those parameters a little more and and having a better sense of that and having it written down it makes that even more tangible and I love that. I think that's that's brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Like you I just I could talk to you all day long. I feel like there's so much information that you have to share around so many different topics, but I think this, you know, the crisis thing, like you said, you know, it, it can be anywhere from, you know, having to fire employees and feeling uncomfortable about that and navigating that or, you know, death in the family or an illness, that kind of thing. There's a, such a wide range of it, but all of these kind of techniques and thought processes really can help all of those situations. And, and as we've seen in 2020, that you never know what's around the corner and having some things that can kind of ease your mind, you know, in place beforehand can be really super helpful. Yeah. Get it. Thank Get you so much. And about having difficult conversations for that communication yeah. piece, really know who's out there, who you can rely on and trust on and who has complementary skills to yours and similar yeah. ones for the community piece and really managing your capacity and making sure that you're not completely draining yourself and overdoing it. Those are three things we can all be working on. Absolutely. Before we're in a crisis. Yeah. So, Looking back, I know it, you've been in business. I love talking to, to women that have been in business for a long time. It's because so much changes, I think, in my own business, even day to day and yeah. like year to year. And But can you think back to like when you first started your business? And, and obviously, you know, technology's changed. What you're working on has changed. All of the things have changed. But is there anything in particular that maybe stands out to you that you weren't expecting or was particularly challenging that you could share that, you know, would help women either feel like they're not alone or kind of give them some idea of something to do differently as they're starting out. 
We touched on this theme earlier about how we don't need to know everything. Mm. And I think that was a big adjustment for me in the beginning. We don't need to know everything about COVID. We we also don't need to know everything about accounting. And we don't need to know everything about (laughs) marketing. We don't need to know everything about operations. We need to figure out what is enough for ourselves and then, and, and not try to do it all alone. So one of the lessons that I bring to my own business from business school is this classic lesson from first year strategy where they say, outsource all but your core competencies. And that I really needed to learn that and practice that and hold that as a guiding star for Mm -hmm. my business. And that's why, can I do bookkeeping? Yes, it turns out I can. I know quite a bit about it. I used to spend, I'd be like obsessed with keeping the books for my business. And this was back in the days of Quicken, even before I knew about QuickBooks. And I would spend like six hours a week entering all my receipts and organizing everything and making sure I had good reports. And that was six hours that I could have been taking a nap or serving clients and getting paid or anything in between. Right. Yeah. So for me, it was important to uh, be willing to let go of some things, be willing to let other people support me in my business as well as personally and not in any way judge myself for it. On the other hand is the back to the, what is enough thing that you don't have to get an expert for every single thing in your business. You can also trust yourself, trust what you do know and what you don't know. And there's so many people out there telling us that we have to, you know, invest a hundred thousand dollars a year in order to run a business that earns a hundred thousand dollars a year. And that's not true. So listen to your intuition about how much outside support is reasonable and um, really being mindful of profit and maximizing profit and minimizing debt while at the same time uh, continuously investing to a certain degree in your growth. Yeah. Love it. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I wholeheartedly agree on all of that. And it really ties back into that, you know, um, having some people that do some of those components of your business Mm -hmm. can help with that crisis planning as well. So yeah, 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 if I get hit by a bus at 11, chances are my bookkeeper who's in Canada won't have been hit by the same bus. (laughs) She can still access all my financials. (laughs) Well, here's to not getting hit by a bus anywhere. (laughs) My way for the day. (laughs) <laughs> where can people find you online? Where's where's your favorite place to hang out? Either social media, your website. What's what's your favorite spot? So my business is called Connect Two with the number two, the digit two corporation. Okay. But online, everywhere, I'm Connect T W O. So okay. Connect T W O dot com. That's where uh, Facebook.com slash Connect Two, LinkedIn slash Connect Two, and um, Lately, I've been doing more on Clubhouse. I'm uh-huh. on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, but I don't really spend much time there. I think I spend the m- more time on Facebook, a little bit of time on Instagram every day. And I've been learning a lot from Clubhouse a few times a week lately, too. So awesome. you can find me at any of those places. Wonderful. Well, Deborah, it's been such a pleasure. I really appreciate you sharing everything with us. And 
I, like I said, I could talk to you all day, but I will be mindful of everybody's time here and just thank you again for, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And let's keep talking offline too, because there's more things I want to talk to you about as well. Sounds great. Thank you, Deborah, for talking with us today. You can find out more information about Deborah and the link to her website in the show notes for this episode at smallbusinesssisterhood.com slash 46. I hope you found this episode useful and inspiring. If you did, please pop over to iTunes and leave a review. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.